heard him say something about clothes and seeing her scooch up against him. But I was going to joke, I was going to kind of say, it was interesting when I was dealing with husbands and wives on, on uh, Sunday night, how many more of you kind of scooched up towards each other. <laughs> I seen Chris go over and either hug and kiss or hug or kiss uh, Marquis at the end of the service. I said, well, maybe, maybe Jesus is helping somebody. No, anyway. <laughs> No. Thank God for our families, and and uh, the ones coming up, and that we have a diverse diversity in age group. Even though we're a small group, we still have the diversity, and that's a blessing to see. Like a lot of folks, like the previous congregation in this building, apparently, uh, just older folks that just just died off and then nobody to replace them and um, anyway all right so we're going to go to Matthew the book of Matthew uh, back to our studies here in elemental theology and in Christology Matthew chapter 1 and of course I know last Wednesday we were not in this we went a different direction in our services, and I think it was called for and helpful, helpful, helpful to me, for sure, and I think it helped others as well. But this doctrine of Jesus Christ, Christology, and we're looking at the person of Christ, the person of Christ, and then in the person of Christ, his humanity, because he's 100% God and 100% man, it's hard to wrap our minds around, but we see it in the Scriptures uh, as it is um, as it is given to us there, um, but the humanity of Christ, and we started in and underneath that part of the outline is by we see his humanity by his Christian parentage, his Christian parentage. And of course, we got in a little bit of the virgin birth and uh, how that that is important. And then the second, the second part of this, uh, and we're kind of touching on that a little bit here, but be by his natural growth and development, it'll go quicker once we get back to here, by his personal appearance, and then by his possession of human physical nature, including body, soul, and spirit, by his human sinless limitations, um, human and sinless limitations. Uh, so, um, and then by, his, by the human names given to him, by himself and others, and then by, uh, let's see, by the human relation which he sustained to God. And then, then we're going to get into the deity. But right now we're going to kind of, we're still under the, under the point of by his Christian, or I'm sorry, by his human parentage, looking at the humanity of Christ and his, his parentage. And um, so we made it that he was made of the seed of David. Romans 1, 3, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Key word is seed, and we're going to see that here. Uh, and I didn't understand, and I went through this before, but I didn't, it didn't click fully, I guess, uh, that there are some arguments about there. I thought it was just, uh, you know, the fact that there was a name in Matthew's genealogy that's a little bit different than... Um, Luke's genealogy, which we're going to see here tonight, and then 
then uh, of that, one of them is not a son, which can be explained away as the son-in-law because lots of times, you know, in fact, my father-in-law calls me son and uh, I married into the family and he calls, you know, my children his children, <laughs> which, you know, even though his his grandchildren are his, you know, that's just his children offset by one. But anyway, and, uh, and I can see that and understand that. But... Um, but there's a little bit more into it because the scholars, the one that deep dives a whole lot deeper in their studies than what I have done when it comes to this stuff, they point out a text in Jeremiah, which we will see, uh, of one of the names in Joseph's lineage that cuts off the throne of David. And we'll see that here in just a little bit. And then, of course, the, uh, I like the way that the, the writer here, it's, uh, it's taken from somebody else. It's not, uh, yeah, it's not Bancroft. He, he actually borrows a portion out of um, Robert Keacham's uh, writings. But uh, what he has to say is pretty good and, I believe, helpful to us. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham beget Isaac, and Isaac beget Jacob, and Jacob beget Judas and his brethren. And Judas beget Perez and Zerah of Thamar, and Perez beget Ershom, and Ershom beget Aram. And Aram beget Abinadab, and Abinadab beget uh, Naasson, and Naasson beget Solomon. And Solomon beget Boaz of Rachab, and Boaz beget Obed of Ruth. And Obed beget Jesse, and Jesse beget David the king, and David the king beget Solomon of her that had been the wife of, the wife of Urias. And Solomon beget Reboam, and Reboam beget Abiah, and Abiah beget Asa, and Asa beget Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat beget Joram, and Joram beget Ozias, and Ozias beget um, jo- Joatham, and Joatham beget Azkaz, and Azkaz beget Ezekias, and Ezekias beget Manassas, and Manassas beget uh, Amon, and Amon beget Josias, and Josias beget uh, Jeconi- uh, yeah, Jeconias, I guess is what he, and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after that they were brought after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Jerobabel, and Jerobabel begat uh, Abiad, and Abiad begat Alakim, uh, and Alakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Zad- Sadok, and Sadok begat Achim, and Achim begat uh, Eliad, and Eliad begat Eliezer, and Eliezer begat Mathen, and Mathen begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away into Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. That's kind of interesting. Uh, the multiples of seven there, but um, uh, anyway, and then it goes on into the birth of Christ. Now, let's just turn to Luke chapter 
two, three, two, three, two, whatever. Wherever said, I'll get there. Matthew, Mark, the genealogy part. Three, yeah. Verse number 23. Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Now there's where Mr. Schofield will give you in his notes. And Matthew were unquestionably, where unquestionably we have the genealogy of Joseph, we are told, verse 116, that Joseph was the son of Jacob. In what sense then could he be called in Luke the son of Heli? He could not be by natural generation the son of both Jacob and Heli, but in Luke it was it is not said that Heli beget Joseph. So it doesn't use the word beget. So that the natural explanation is that Joseph is the son in law of Heli, who was uh, like himself a descendant of David that he should be called son of Heli. Son is not in the Greek, but rightly supplied by the translators. Uh, would be in accord with Jewish usage. And he gives the uh, reference of 1 Samuel twenty four sixteen. The conclusion is therefore inevitable that in Luke we have Mary's genealogy and Joseph was the son of Heli because espoused to Heli's daughter, the genealogy in Luke is Mary's whose father Heli was descended from Jacob. All right. I'm sorry, from David. So, uh, that kind of explains that. Now, verse 24, which was the son of uh, Mathat, which was the son of Levi, which was the son of Melchi, which was the son of Jana, which was the son of Joseph, which is the son of uh, Mattathias, which is the son of Amos, which is the son of Nahum, which was the son of Elsie, which is the son of uh, Nagi, which is the son of Math, Maath, which is the son of Maathias, which is the son of Simei, which is the son of Joseph, which was the son of Judah, which was the son of Joanna, which was the son of uh, Reese, Reese, or whatever, which is the son of Zerubbabel, which is the son of Southiel, which is the son of Neri, which is the son of Melchi, which is the son of Adi, which is the son of Kosam, which was the son of Elm Adam, which was the son of Ur, which is the son of uh, Josie, which is the son of Eliezer, which is the son of Joram, which was the son of Matat, which is the son of Levi, which is the son of Simeon, which is the son of Judah, which is the son of Joseph, which is the son of uh, Jonan, which is the son of uh, Elikam, which is the son of Melsa or uh, Malia, which is the son of Menan, which is the son of um, Matatha, which is the son of Nathan, which is the son of David, Whew. which was the son of Jesse, which is the son of Obed, which is the son of Boaz, which is the son of Salmon, which is the son of Nathan, which is the son of Abinadab, which is the son of Amram, which is the son of Urshan, which is the son of Phares, which is the son of Judah, which is the son of Jacob, which is the son of Isaac, which is the son of Abraham, which is the son of uh, Therah, which is the son of Nacor, which is the son of Saruk, which is the son of Ragu, 
which is the son of Phalek, which is the son of Heber, which is the son of Selah, which is the son of Canaan, which is the son of Arphaxed, which is the son of Shem, which is the son of Noah, which is the son of Lamech, which is the son of Methuselah, which is the son of Enoch, which is the son of Jared, which is the son of Melil, which is the son of Canaan, which is the son of Enos, which is the son of Seth, which is the son of Adam, which is the son of God. All the way back to God, Jesus. So, note though, in this genealogy, and we'll see this in our study here in a moment. So, this genealogy went to David through Nathan, where the other went to David through Solomon. Nathan was his firstborn, and I think when we get to the place, you'll get it's pretty good. All right, so. I wanted to read all of them so we can kind of get on into this. So one of the widely used arguments was back. There are there is too far there is far too much is there is far too much that is dependent upon the throne rights of Jesus to pass to pass it by as as an unimportant item. If the rights of the Lord Jesus Christ to the throne of David cannot be established beyond the shadow of a doubt, then there are a thousand other things which go into the shadows also. So one of the Matthew genealogy, one of the widely used arguments from the New Testament intended to establish the throne rights of Jesus is the Matthew genealogy. The argument is in question sets forth the idea that Joseph had a legal right to the throne as the successor of David through Solomon and that he passed his legal right on to Jesus, his foster son. And thus, while he got his physical right to the throne through his mother, he got his legal right through the throne through his foster father. The argument in question comes up against the curse on Kaniah, which is also Jeconius in Jeremiah 22, 28 through 30. So if you'll turn to Jeremiah 22... So, now I wouldn't have known that this Kaniah in verse number 28 is the same person as uh, that Jeconias or whatever, I guess in the genealogy, but scholars apparently say so. But in verse number 28 of Jeremiah 23, it says, Is this man, Kaniah, a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out? He and his seed, key word there, his seed. He and his seed are and are cast into a land which they know not. O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless. Even though he had children, as far as this inheritance is getting ready to be taken away from him, all of his seed are written off as if they were not born. So write him, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Now, according to 
if this Coniah was the same person as this uh, uh, Jaconius in Matthew's genealogy, and this curse is pronounced upon Coniah and all his seed, that none of them would sit upon the throne of David, <laughs> all the seeds cut off there. So there is no, and you'll see this in a second. So there's, there's where he's coming from. So the argument in question comes up against the curse of Coniah, Jaconius, in, in, Matthew, in Jeremiah 22, 28 through 30, and has a bad moment. In this passage, it is, is distinctively stated that from Coniah onward forever, no seed of the David Solomon Coniah line could sit any more upon the throne of David. This exclusion would, of course, include Joseph. The argument in question gets around this situation by pointing out that Jesus was not the seed of Joseph by actual physical descent and therefore does not come under the ban upon the seed of Coniah. But on the other hand, being the foster son of Joseph, he would take the legal right which was vested in Joseph and escape the curse which was resting upon Joseph. The emphasis of the argument in question is upon the difference between the son and the seed. He's the son of Mary. I'm sorry, not the son of Mary. The uh, son and seed. There are at least two outstanding difficulties which present themselves in connection with this argument. First, the curse upon the Solomonic line as recorded in Jeremiah 22. Let us get clearly before the the wording of this passage. Is this man, Kaniah, a a despised broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure, wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed, and are cast into the land which they know not. O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Write ye this man childless, a man shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. It seems to us that by any fair analysis of this text would indicate that the Solomon line coming from David comes to an abrupt end in the person of Kaniah. We are not now discussing whether the line would ever be have started with Solomon or not. This is a good question. We are simply insisting that regardless of the right or wrong start, the end of that line is reached by divine intervention in the person of Kaniah. Words could hardly be more emphatic and clear Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed? Write this man childless. If language means anything at all, and we know that it does around here, it seems to us that we must conclude that God ordered Kaniah to be registered as though he had actually died childless as far as the throne rights are concerned. True, he had many children from which eventually was born Joseph, but if this passage in Jeremiah means... Uh, what it says, none of these descendants, including Joseph, could have been reckoned as having been born, so far as throne rights are concerned. Kaniah was to be registered, no children. Therefore, the Solomonic line of descendants from David must have come to a sudden and abrupt end in Kaniah. If Jesus, therefore, was to get his legal right to the divinic throne through Joseph, we are to face 
we are face to face with a very apparent impossibility. Okay, so there's some of the argument among the scholars, but it goes on. The second difficulty which presents itself and makes it difficult for us to accept, the argument in question is to be found, in fact, that if Jesus did get his legal right to the throne through Joseph, the fundamental doctrine of the virgin birth is interfered with. In the 17th chapter of First Chronicles, God is speaking to David through the prophet Nathan. And in verse 11 he says, And it shall come to pass, when thy days be expired, that thou must go to be with thy fathers, and I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom, and I will establish his throne forever. We desire to point out that the person who is to sit upon the throne of David either in the immediate days of the text or in the remote centuries or millenniums to come must be more than a son of David. He must be the actual seed of David. All right, so Joseph was a son of David. I'm talking Mary's Joseph. All right, and um, uh, Christ was a seed of David. All right, through Mary. Therefore, if Jesus is to qualify for the divanic uh, thrown through Joseph, he would have had, he would have to be more than a son of Joseph. He would have to be an actual seed of Joseph in order to be the seed of David. Immediately, we must be. It must be seen that this would do away with the virgin birth and throw the whole glorious structure of salvation into the, in in the discard. The argument, therefore, that Jesus got his legal throne rights from Joseph must, it seems to us, be abandoned. All right. So again, he's. I like what he puts it in, in some of his other writings here. He said, look, I'm, this is, I'm just kind of throwing this out there. I'm not going to be dogmatic about anything, he says here in a minute. But, but that being said, you know, obviously those that have taken the time to follow all the, you know, to chart it all out and to look at each one of, the, each one of them that it says something about in the lineage, there was a breakdown here through Joseph's line. And then he comes back around to why Matthew's genealogy is in there, and it's really good. All right, so the Luke genealogy. We need now to examine the genealogy as found in the third chapter of Luke. We done read that. All scholars and teachers are agreed that this genealogy beginning with verse 23 and ending with verse 38 is a genealogy of Mary and not Joseph. Dr. Schofield in his footnote aptly points out that son of Eli could properly read son-in-law of Eli, who was the father of Mary. It will be noticed that the ancestry of Eli, Mary's father, is traced backwards until verse 31. We discover that we have come down to Mary through David, uh, from David through Nathan, not Solomon. We are of the opinion that the kingly line came to Mary from her ancestor David through Nathan and not Joseph from David through Solomon. We recognize that right here. We are faced with a very serious problem. Did God not select Solomon to continue the kingly line from David? And if so, then, must not the rights to the throne reside in Joseph? We confess that there are in some doubt as to whether God chose Solomon to continue the kingly line from David or whether David and Bathsheba did the choosing at the expense of setting aside David's oldest living son at the time namely Dathan. 
So Nathan, I mean, well, let's back up. We, re, we repeat that we are not certain enough, here it is, we were not certain enough of this proposition to be in any sense dogmatic about it. We do say that it warrants a very careful study, which we have at the time or space to enter here. We do, we do not need the, to discuss that phase of the situation in order to establish the conclusion toward which we are moving. No matter how the kingly line through Solomon started from David, we are forced back upon the conclusion pointed out earlier in this article that the line from David through Solomon came to an end in the person of Keniah, and that too, by God's own decree, this result is that Jesus will be left without any rights to the Davanic, the Davanic, Davidic, yeah, Davanic, Davidic, you know what I'm talking about. Davidic, there we go. I get my, my emphasis in the wrong syllable. The Davidic throne, if he has to look for them through his foster father, Joseph. But he must receive these throne rights from someone. If not from Joseph through Solomon and David, then the only other place he could receive them would be through Mary, from Mary through Nathan to David. To prove that Mary had these throne rights to give to her son Jesus is one of the purposes of the Luke genealogy. All right, so why then the Matthew genealogy? This is where it gets good, and we'll be done. (laughs) Immediately... It will be asked if the genealogy of Joseph in Matthew is not intended to prove he had the throne right, he had throne rights, then what is the purpose of this genealogy? This is a fair question and ought to be answered. To answer this, we must go back to the Old Testament law of inheritance. When Israel uh, entered Canaan, the land was divided and given to each tribe for an inheritance. This, in turn, was divided among the families in each tribe. The law of inheritance within the families was from father to oldest son. In Numbers 27, an apparent poser put, to the, put up to Moses on this matter of inheritance. A man named by the name of Zelophead had received a portion of land, but his sons were all daughters. Zelophead is now dead and no son to inherit. The question is raised as to who gets the father's property. Moses took the case before the Lord, and in verses 7 and 8, the Lord declares that where all the children in the family daughters, that they shall inherit on the same basis as the sons. So things move along quite nicely in Israel under this provision until another dilemma presents itself in the last chapter of Numbers. Here the question is raised, what happens to the inheritance of this oldest daughter if she marries into another tribe? Good question. Since the title to the property has been transferred to the tribe in which she married, again, they were were given pieces of land and that whole land was to that tribe. When... um, Caleb, he said, I want that mountain. He wanted to go along heights. <laughs> I want that mountain. And uh, so that, that all was to his, his, his bunch. And, uh, and so if, 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 if the oldest, all girls was born to the person, and the girls, the oldest girl, of course they all got their portion, but the oldest girl married a man in another tribe, then that meant her inheritance was at, in jeopardy because... 
then the other tribe would could, but that's where the, the, they pose the question here. So here's what happens. So since the title of the property has been transferred to the tribe in which she married, how can the thing revert to status quo in the year Jubilee of Jubilee? To this problem, the Lord answers that any daughter who had an inheritance in Israel in order to retain her inheritance must marry some man in the tribe and family of her father. Should she violate this rule, she would forfeit her inheritance, and none of her children, of course, could possess themselves of the forfeited treasure. So if she married a man into another tribe, then she she was going to leave her possessions with the previous tribe, and all of her heirs would then have to move over to the other tribe. They, they They couldn't inherit any of that possession. Here, we believe, is the explanation of the purpose of the Matthew genealogy of Joseph. It seems to us that the purpose of this genealogy cannot possibly be to show that Joseph had throne rights in Israel. So far as his throne rights are concerned, it is as though he had never been born in connection uh, because he had never been born. In connection with the throne rights of his ancestor Kaniah, it had been said, He and his seed shall be cast out. Register this man childless. He didn't use the word register, it's write this man childless. We believe the purpose of the Matthew genealogy is to put forever behind, beyond any shadow of a doubt, the fact that while he had no throne rights, yet Joseph was a member of the family of David and the tribe of Judah. Here we discover that Joseph was of the, name, of the same family and tribe as was Mary. The Matthew genealogy is given to prove once and forever that Mary married the right man and in doing so did not forfeit her inheritance in Israel, which went back to the throne, which is in case, which in this case was the kingly right to the throne. But in marrying Joseph of the same family and tribe as herself, she retained that precious treasure to give to her baby boy, Jesus of Nazareth. All right, so that make all sense now? See, if she had married somebody else in another tribe, then even though that she had the... She had the, the genealogy back to the throne of David through Nathan. Then if she had married any other tribe, she would have lost that. So Matthew's genealogy simply says she married a man that was of the same tribe, of uh, lineage of David, of the tribe of Judah. All right, so this conclusion in no wise affects the position that is generally accepted that Matthew's genealogy is the kingly genealogy. For while it does not establish Joseph's kingly rights, it does establish the fact that he was the man for Mary to marry in order that she might not forfeit forfeit her kingly rights. Thus, in both genealogies, the kingship of Jesus is forever established and his virgin birth as the seed of David through Mary is once more safeguarded. And that's Mr. Ketchum. All right, so there's that. Lots to think about. But... um, but nonetheless, oh, and the, the fact of uh, is the firstborn. I, I, I don't think, I think I read it all, but he didn't go into it, but uh, he kind of alluded to the, the question, did, was Solomon, you know, um, however Solomon come about as far as by way of inheritance goes, in the normal way of inheritance in the Bible, the firstborn was the one that should have been put on the throne of David, and that would have been Nathan, not Solomon. 
even though Solomon might have been Bathsheba's firstborn. But uh, it was not David's firstborn. So anyway, so we see that both of them go back through, and I like that little argument right there at the end. So Christ, um, Christ's inheritance to the throne of David is through Mary, and he was the seed of David through Mary, all right, of the, because of the seed of a woman, and he was the seed of David through Mary. But the fact that Mary, to keep her inheritance, had to marry a man in the same tribe, then Matthew's genealogy is there to prove that. All right? So, like I said, the rest of it is, when, is where we're getting, you know, it'll pick up speed. Uh, again, the next one is by his natural growth and development. We see his humanity, and that'll be in two weeks. All right, so uh, appreciate this. And, and uh, the next one's like we'll go through two and three of them in a night because it's in that place in the outline where it really picks up, picks up some pace. All right. We'll be checking in with you along the way. Uh, our plans are to leave Friday as soon as I get off work, everything packed and ready to go. We're going to hope we get on the road about 3.20. I'm going to work through lunch, and we're going to try to drive just beyond Memphis. Uh, and get. A, we've already booked us a room there. Uh, not in Memphis proper or not even in Jackson proper because the hotel rooms are crazy expensive in those two places. So we, we found us a little berg in between the two and, uh, and got us a room there. And then uh, we're going to go uh, Saturday on to Knoxville. I'm actually going to eat dinner with some old Air Force friends, friends, I guess, acquaintances that I worked with many, many moons ago, 36 years ago. Uh, thereabouts, and uh, so uh, uh, hopefully we can be a, a light to them, some of them, and then uh, visit with the baby and his parents for till Wednesday, next Wednesday, and then drive to Virginia, and then be around Thursday and Friday for a couple of ceremonies for Andrew, and this is another thing, things just happen like this, I don't know why, but it just happens. I look back at some places and some of the things I've done in my life. Anyway, and so here's one of those things. Andrew entered into a contest. I don't know what kind of a contest it was, some kind of a contest uh, in the graduation that he won. And what he won was four tickets in, like, the best seat in the stadium for graduation purposes. So guess where I get to seat? <laughs> And one of those first four, for one of those four seats. So uh, going to have some, a good view wherever in the, it is in the stadium, and we're going to borrow my daughter's good camera and hopefully get some good pictures. But again, hopefully we can be a, a testimony to them, and uh, we hopefully we don't start World War Three, and hopefully we actually fix some things. But anyway, but uh, if they'll just listen. Anyway, but uh, anyway. All right, so uh, do pray for us in our travels. We'll be checking in along the way, I'm sure, and you guys can call to us anytime. And they're going to try to see my sister while we're in um, one day as well. Uh, they're in Maryville, Tennessee. And uh, I do know I-40 West brings us back home, all right? So just let you know that. And I'll be on I-40 from here 
all the way to, uh, well, wherever Interstate 81 splits off just beyond Knoxville, up around Morristown, <laughs> that time uh, it goes up through there. So probably picking up I-40 westbound. So we're going to try to drive whatever time the, the, the festivities are over on Friday, we're going to try to head down the road west to get it three or four hours behind us and then finish it the rest of the way on Saturday. So pray for us. We're going to try to get up early. And it'll be a 13, 14-hour drive on Saturday. It just depends on how much we get going. If we get going early enough on Friday, then maybe we can get all the way back to Knoxville. Then it'll be a 12-hour drive. But anyway, it's going to be a long Saturday. So and we'll see you, Lord willing, on Mother's Day. Uh, doing fight, folks, and uh, like I said, you know, some folks will come out on Mother's Day like we will on Easter, and uh, so who knows what, pray for Brother Chris as he preaches next week, and uh, uh, both services, Brother Glenn will do the two next two Saturdays uh, prayer meetings, and I appreciate that, and I want to let you know I love you, and I'll see you, Lord, we on Mother's Day. All right, let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for this opportunity to look in the Word of God and look in about these things. And, and Lord, I know how the questions comes up, and I thank you, Lord, for maybe to give us a little bit of understanding when those questions, should we ever uh, be faced with those, we'll have an answer. And I pray and ask that you would help us, Lord, to, uh, to look into and to consider and maybe to, to delve in a little bit deeper into the Word and our studies, uh, Lord, we might give men an answer. I ask and pray that you'd be with our church family. Uh, Lord, while we're away, that you give grace and help uh, to them, uh, meet their physical needs, uh, Lord, other needs uh, that they may have, financial needs, uh, physical needs, health needs, Lord, that, uh, that each uh, of us seems to have from time to time, family, family needs, the things that comes up uh, with extended family members and things. I pray that you work in every, every life, Lord. And, and uh, Lord, I pray for those that our family uh, uh, that are lost and without Christ, some has been coming. I pray that you'd work in their hearts and their lives. May something that's been said in the past just finally ring true to them, help them to see themselves as sinners, and may they come to Christ. Pray, Lord, for Brother Chris as he preaches the next three services, that you'll anoint him, give him utterance and unction and boldness, Lord. I pray that you would uh, use him uh, in his messages. Again, we pray the Holy Spirit uh, would show up in the services for all his vain unless the Spirit of the Lord comes down. I pray that He will be at the Sunday school teachers and their Sunday school lessons. Guide them and direct them in that. I pray, Lord, for myself and Lisa as we travel, that you give us travel mercies there and back and you use us while we're gone. I pray these things in Christ's name and for His sake. Be with Sister Sarah, Lord, tonight. Uh, give her the grace and help, Lord, to deliver. And, uh, Lord, help her to recover from her delivery. pray, Lord, for these other ladies that have delivered recently. Continue to give grace and help to them. And we ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen, amen. Amen. amen.